The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to Short Hop, sponsored by FanDuel.com. Derek Van Riper here, as always, with Bernie Pleskoff. And we have a great show lined up this week. Uh, last week, we had some technical difficulties. Had to cut it a bit shorter than usual. Among the topics, Julio Urias coming up on Friday for his big league debut. What's wrong with Matt Harvey? What's wrong with Yasiel Puig? Hey, what's wrong with Prince Fielder and John Carlos Stanton? We'll talk about that. Clayton Kershaw in rarefied air right now. 
I want to ask Bernie if he's ever seen anything like that before, those topics and a lot more in this week's episode. Bernie, before we get started, how is it going today? Everything's good. Uh, I'll be back at the ballpark tomorrow night. The uh, Diamondbacks come back after being on the road and not doing well at all. And there's another team we need to talk about and dissect. Uh, what's wrong with them? But I have my, my, my theories. Maybe we'll do that next week. Yeah, I think it'd be good to see how home cooking treats the Diamondbacks over the next uh, couple series here. Uh, but let's start with Urias. He's coming up on Friday to make his big league debut with the Dodgers, just 19 years old. Uh, some pretty amazing stats flying around Twitter this morning when the news of Urias getting the call uh, broke. And first off, it's, it's just what he's done everywhere he's pitched. He was signed out of Mexico as a 16-year-old. The Dodgers <laughs> got a discount uh, in yeah. part because you'll notice if, if you look at, at photos of Julio Urias, you're going to see one of his eyes looks like it's partially closed. And for right. uh, it, it's still, I think, a small issue, but he had a surgery last summer to open up that eye a little bit. That, that was, was congenital. Yeah. Yep. So there were, that was part of the reason, though, why teams were not all over him from a, from a young age. The Dodgers, it seemed like, didn't have that much competition to sign him when they did. I mean, he, he was in the Midwest League soon after signing, dominating as a 17-year-old at that level. Everywhere he's been, he's pitched really well. Among the questions, though, what kind of workload, what kind of role does he have beyond making this start against the Mets in New York on Friday? I mean, what does that say about the Dodgers and their confidence in this guy that for his big league debut as a 19-year-old, they're willing to let him pitch on the road against a very good Mets team? Well, they love him, and they've been waiting for this day for a long time. But let's not forget that their starting pitching needs help. And this is the guy who's there for them when they need him. And I think he's going to be a fixture in the rotation. This is not going to be a guy, in my opinion, that's going up and down. Oh, we need a fifth starter. Let's bring him up. He's there. I mean, they made a decision, I think, to bring him in now. He's got four pitches. He's got a four-seam fastball. He's got a two-seam fastball. He's got a changeup. And he's got a slider. And he uses them regardless of the count. He's, he's a very confident guy, and I think one of the things they want is to go out, for him to go out there and show what he can do. He's basically uh, a fastball-slider combination pitcher, but you don't know which of the two is coming. That's what makes him so good. And then the second or third time to the order, that's when you might see those other two pitches get mixed in, too. Like That's that's the other wrinkle. I mean, this, this guy seems like he's advanced in terms of how he sequences the pitches he sets hitters up very well I think that's part of what has surprised everybody all along It's for his age he pitches like someone who's four or five years older and that was the case he actually debuted in the Midwest League at 16 I thought it was at age 17 I mean for a 16 year old to be pitching in professional full season ball is unprecedented yeah look this this guy has it all he knows how to pitch he's mature uh, he's not going to get rattled, I don't believe. You know, the difference between major league and minor league pitching and baseball and hitting, I've said it before many times, is the Grand Canyon. It's huge. Now, if this guy can jump over the Grand Canyon, uh, they have something special. But be wary. Don't go out there now and go all crazy and say, you know, he's going to have five quality starts in a row. He may. 
but he may have a hiccup or two as well. He's a human being. And, you know, the second, third time through the order, hitters will make adjustments. But the second time a team sees him is when you could see a difference. For example, when he goes into the West the second time and the third time, which will happen this year, then there could be some differences. So he's still a rookie, but he is a 70, a 70, Derek, on the 20 to 80 scale. Yeah, those are, are very rare as pitching prospects go. And when you think about him in a dynasty league, are you looking at a player that could be a David Price, Madison Bumgarner caliber lefty in the long, long term? Not this year, not right from the jump, but perhaps by 2018, are we going to be talking about Julio Urias among the league's best starting pitchers if everything goes to plan? I mean, for, for what he did in the, in the minors this year at AAA, I haven't seen anyone dominate the PCL like that before. The Pacific Coast League is a really right. difficult right. place to pitch. His ERA is a tick above one. He's at like 110 for his ERA right now. The whip is well below one. Just an amazing combination of skills. I think the problem here, if there is a problem, is dialing back the short-term expectations, not only as he faces teams a second and third time, but also figuring out what exactly his innings cap is going to be this year and how the Dodgers are going to manage that. Are they going to give him a spot start Friday, keep him around as a reliever? Are they going to give him a few starts if Alex Wood's tricep soreness turns into something that not only bumped him from tomorrow's start, but to Monday, but maybe that turns into a DL stint. Does that open up a few starts? I mean, I don't see Urias making more than 10 starts at the absolute most. That would be him staying in the rotation right now, maybe getting skipped a few times, and then eventually having to get shut down. And I think even a more likely scenario than that is that he ends up making a handful of starts and then pitches out of the bullpen so they can really monitor that workload carefully, but then also have that weapon when a guy like a Mike Bolsinger has an off day and only goes four or five innings. Well, this is not a cookie-cutter lefty. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that they're not going to just slot him in and, and take their chances. They're in a pennant race. They need this guy. They may, he, they may have him as a five-and-fly guy, you know, just limit his innings that way or miss a start here and there. But I think he's in. I think he's in the rotation for the duration. Maybe a five-, six-inning pitcher may miss a start here and there. But this, this team is in a pennant race, and this guy is a horse. Now, where is he in my estimation? My comp is Fernando Valenzuela. That's my comp. Now, I may be wrong on that. A lot of similarities in the way they pitch. It doesn't have the screwball that uh, Fernando had, but he, I think he's there. And I think he will be there. Bumgarner, that's a good comp. Those guys that are great left-handed pitching but short of Kershaw. Yeah, Valenzuela, upon arrival, uh, didn't pitch a lot. He actually pitched mostly out of the pen in 1980, but in 1981, when he was being used as a starter, had 180 strikeouts and 192 in the third innings. Pitchers had different workloads back then because he, That's went, right. he went from 192 in the third at age 20 to 285 in 1982 at age 21. That's it amazing. Never, it would never happen now. Like that, that development curve is just it's non-existent at this point. So... Certainly a fascinating uh, player to watch in Julio Urias, and that debut comes against the Mets against Jacob deGrom. I imagine there will be a lot of eyes on that entire series because it's Maeda versus Syndergaard on wow. Saturday, and then wow. Kershaw against Bartolo Colon <laughs> on Sunday. 
which is, I mean, could you take two guys who are just more more different, like Bartolo Colon, who I, I think I think in America we have this extra appreciation for Bartolo Colon because of his uh, let's let's call it jolly body type would be the nicest way I could say it, uh, but. You know, you look at what he's done at his age, actually pretty impressive, and then what Clayton Kershaw is doing right now, I've never seen anything like it before. I know a couple of years ago when we started this podcast, and maybe even before that, we've talked about Kershaw for a while, and you've said he's Sandy Koufax. And now, more than, said. now more than ever, you look at Kershaw and you have to wonder, is he better than Sandy Koufax? Is he something that we've just never seen before? Because right now, Clayton Kershaw has a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 19. Like, 19 strikeouts for every walk. And a lot of times, we don't see the best of Kershaw until the second half. He gets locked in as the season goes on and then just pitches out of his mind in July, August, and September. He's been in mid-season form since day one this season. (laughs) Well, Derek, the game is different than when Koufax pitched. And, And I got to see Koufax in the World Series a lot. And I remember it vividly. I was younger, of course. That was a few years ago when the Dodgers played the Yankees every World Series. But I got to watch them. And I got to – I love baseball enough so I knew what I was looking at. The guy was amazing. However, the game was different. And we need to understand that. But in this case with uh, Kershaw Koufax, they both went deep into games. and They were both fairly economical. Their styles of pitching are different. As a matter of fact, Koufax coached uh, Kershaw early in his career and still does every spring training. Kershaw's a a different breed of cat. And the the difference to date is their postseason performances. Koufax was lights out. Kershaw has had hiccups. Now, that said... The remainder of that might tilt a little bit to Kershaw now. But, again, the games are different. I'm glad I got to see them both in my lifetime. But, folks, we are watching an absolute top-of-the-charts left-handed pitcher who doesn't have, you know, hiccups except for in the postseason twice. And it's still early enough in his career where if Clayton Kershaw has 10 or 12 or 15 more years in the big leagues all of those are are possible and he's one of those guys that pitches well I mean he's going to be a different guy three years from now I mean especially but even to go further than that it's going to be a question as to what kind of stuff he has left he could completely rewrite the chapters of what his postseason career looks like there's gonna be a lot of opportunities for him to do that especially as long as he stays with Dodgers seems like a team that will be in perpetual contention given their resources. So I think he's got to give it some time, and, and we're going to see Clayton Kershaw as a guy who becomes an October star. I mean, it's only a matter of time, but what he has done so far has been outstanding. This Dodgers team is still very interesting, though, and one of the reasons why it's interesting is Yasiel Puig. I mean, coming up, he seemed to have as much potential as anybody in the game. I mean, it, when he first came up, that first summer we saw Yasiel Puig a few years back, I remember you said... If you're looking at Puig, he could be better than Trout. Like it was, it was a possibility from what he was doing in 2013. In 104 games, he had 19 home runs, he had 11 steals, hit 319, a 925 OPS. And every season since then, the slash line, each number in the slash line, has gotten worse. It's it's the Gordon Beckham pattern. Doesn't mean he's Gordon Beckham as a player, 
He's still young. I mean, we're still talking about a guy who's only 25 years old. We think. We think. Well, we think. You're right. It, it's it, at least at least Puig doesn't have the January 1st birthday, right? You have a lot of players that pop up with the, like a January 1st birthday. You know, that, yeah. that's kind of a weird coincidence. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. You look at Puig. He doesn't seem like he's significantly older than that. And who knows? I, you we, know, we may never know. But the bottom line is, if if he is a few years older than listed, it can't be more than like three. Right, I mean, he he couldn't be old. Oh, right, right, right. And aside from that, might be no more than one. You know, right, it, it, and it may be nothing. Like it, it's just one of those things that you just really don't know for sure. Nevertheless, what has gone wrong for Puig? How can a player show skills like that upon arrival and just gradually get to the point where you look at him and all you do is regret having him on your fantasy team? I wish I knew. I really wish I knew because the difference between his rookie year here and today is night and day. His bat speed is gone or eroding badly. His attitude is better and he hasn't gotten himself into any problems this year and his teammates seem to accept him more. But I wish I knew. You know, it's just his swing is still wild and violent. But in, in the past, the wild and violent swing brought him results. I think you can beat him up high. You can beat him outside. It's, it's, it's not pretty. Uh, the throwing arm is strong but still erratic to it. Just, I wouldn't run on him. He's that good. But it's not the same guy. It really isn't. And is, it, can he return to what he was? You know, we can't uh, open him up like you do a tree and count the rings to see how old he is. I don't think that's an issue. I think the issue is just an erosion of skills that happens. Is it correctable? Is it, is it things that if he puts in extra time, if he does more work watching video, if he's working with the hitting coaches more often, do you still see glimmers of that same raw ability from three years ago? Or is it at a point now where if you have him, you sell him low and you just move on? I mean, is he, is he a guy you're targeting right now? Are you just going to sit back and take a wait-and-see approach if you have him, or do you move him? I do not know how hard this guy works in the cage. I don't know how hard he works in the weight room. I don't know how dedicated he is to turning this around. If I knew that, I could probably project that his swing could come back. But it's going to take hours in the cage. I mean, it's going to be looking at putting the iron mic on breaking balls and just seeing a steady diet of them and high fastballs, it takes it takes an awful lot of work. Is he dedicated to doing that or is he satisfied with where he is? Some players, you know, are just bulldogs and they just will not accept mediocrity. And that's what he is now. He's very mediocre. How did Ryan Braun turn it around? He turned it around because he's healthier now, but he worked hard. I saw him in spring training. So I, I, I don't know about Puig. Well, here's the other wrinkle with Puig. He was hurt last year, which I think makes it even more difficult to understand, you know, why wasn't he at least as good? Why isn't he at least as good as he was in 2014? Like, even if, let's just say that the narrative is this. In 2013, he came up, the league was surprised. They didn't really know how to pitch him. They figured him out. In 2014 was his baseline. If, if, if he's what he was in 2014, for what the Dodgers paid and, and for what fantasy owners paid for him this year, he'd be profitable. If, if, he, if he were hitting 296 instead of 246 and he were on pace 
He is on pace for as much power as he had that year, and he is on pace for as many steals. It's just a rapid decline in terms of the average and the on-base skills, which are going to hurt the run scored and the RBIs, and he's obviously lower in the order as a result of what he's doing. It's just, I got this wrong. At least I've been wrong about it so far. And my approach towards him is to actually sell him because I don't see any sign of him becoming more disciplined at the plate. I mean, the one thing that really jumps off the page for me with Yasiel Puig, and it's been this way, I think, all season long, he is hitting an astonishing number of infield fly balls. And that's right. That's a slow bat. It's it's a slow bat, or it's a bat that's not recognizing pitches very well. Right, you're, you're getting tricked. You're getting fooled. And what you may be doing if you're hitting infield fly balls, or what you may also be doing, is trying to you know improve plate coverage. Right, you're trying not to strike out. It might be a two strike uh, situation. You're doing anything you can to just get the bat on the ball, and you make bad contact. But to me, you're getting fooled if that's happening because you're swinging at bad pitches. And if you think about the outcomes. I've said this on on this podcast and, and elsewhere. You know, if you look at the outcomes, an infield fly ball is the equivalent of a strikeout because on an infield fly ball, you're going to be out. Like the percentage of infield fly balls that turn into hits are like zero because it's an error if someone doesn't catch it. So it's basically a strikeout. And his infield fly ball rate, which was 11.6% for his career, is at 29.1% this year. It's off the charts. It's the highest among qualified hitters, and it's not even close. Like If you look at that list, you're going to find some names on there. and I don't know if it's necessarily something that locks in this early in the season, but he's at 29.1%. Billy Burns is at 25.6%. Todd Frazier's at 22.4%, and then Jason Hayward's at 21.9%. Those are your top four in that category. Uh, even Manny Machado's high in there. So it's not the be all end all, but to me, it's just one part of the problem is that he is just getting fooled out there right now. That that's a good stat, but but let me just say why it it is a slow bat. He's dragging his bat. His bat is coming through late. Up goes the ball. Uh, The thing about this, Derek, is you you think you missed. Remember, I'm the one who said I'd take him off the board first after his rookie year, right? I did say that. Because he was so good. He was giving you numbers in all five categories. And not just weak numbers. They were throughout the season. They were consistent. And they were high. And this was an exciting guy. He was a game changer. Right now, I have to say, I want to see two straight games of good mechanics. And if I don't see that, he's, he's a sell. So the other thing I, w- I would want to look at, in, and I know StatCast is still very new in terms of applying it to players and figuring out how predictive it might be, but we can figure out, we can look, we have the data now to look at what's the exit velocity coming off the bat. And if you could see that year over year for a hitter, especially, to me that's a way to reverse engineer or to quantify how much bat speed has possibly gone down. Right? If you saw exit velocity numbers from Puig, upon arrival that were significantly higher than what they are now, that kind of shows you just how much that bat maybe has slowed down in the years he's been in the league. I think it it is a good stat. I don't use it, but I do think it is a good stat. I think your, your infield fly one is a really good stat. The bottom line is he doesn't pass the eye test. You can tell immediately this is not the guy he used to be or even close. Uh, it, it, 
it's hurting the Dodgers. Yeah, it's it's been. Very and then the next guy, the next guy is in the same boat. Okay, so the next guy we're going to talk about is Matt Harvey, and it's the same. Oh, concept. okay. I thought you were going to talk about Prince. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll get to Prince. Like I, I'll, I'll, I'll get to him. He's he's killing me in a few different leagues. But Matt Harvey has been the source of frustration for Mets fans, Mets beat writers, anybody with the Mets is looking at Harvey and just saying, well, what's going on with this guy? For me, he's just hurt. I don't know what is hurt. I don't know if it's his legs. I don't know if it's his hips. I don't know if it's his shoulder or his elbow or what it is. But this is completely like what we saw from Steven Strasburg to start last season. Strasburg's numbers to this exactly. point were, were just wrong. They just weren't him. And skills-wise, you're like, this, this isn't right. Strasburg's better than this. Harvey's better than he's been thus far. He doesn't have any answers. To me, he's just lying. He's hurt. Like That's the only plausible explanation to him being this bad because he's, he's, not, he's not Rick Ankeel out there or Steve Blast throwing the ball over the place. He's just getting hit. And I think we're going to find out sooner rather than later that something physically is wrong with Matt Harvey because, to me, nothing else makes sense. I wish I could disagree with you, but I can't. He's two miles April over April less in velocity, two miles an hour. That's significant. When you go from 96 to 94 or 95 to 93, that's a big difference. And it also means you're opening up. I mean, you're compensating in some way. Now, I haven't watched enough of Harvey this year, but something's wrong. Absolutely something's wrong. The guy's a bulldog. He's a horse. I've stood next to him. He's amazingly strong. So something is wrong. Legs, arms, elbow, I don't know. If you look at exit velocity for a guy like Harvey, I mean, it's still good. He's, he's, not, he's not getting hit hard all the time. He's just when he gets hit, he gets hit hard, right? So he's, he's getting outs with reasonably normal or weak contact, but it just seems like when he makes a mistake, it is getting pounded worse than ever. I think I'm buying on Matt Harvey if I'm in a spot where I'm trying to rally back, if I need pitching help, but I'm buying knowing there's a possibility that he's going to get shut down for two, three, maybe even four weeks at some point in the near future to either rest from fatigue or whatever it is. Now, the thing that maybe makes him different than Strasburg, the one caution I would throw out there, this was a guy that coming off of Tommy John surgery last year shouldered a huge workload. So his injury might not be an oblique or something like that. It could be with his arm. And if it's with his arm, then I think it makes it's fatigue. it more difficult. But you, you yeah, think I think it's out? fatigue. Yeah, I do. I think that's what's wrong. But look, when you throw 96 up in the zone, they're going to swing and miss. You know, it's in your eyes. You drool and you swing and miss. When you throw 93 up in the zone or 94 up in the zone, that's still good velocity, but it's more hittable than 96. So if you're getting the ball up at the, at the letters, goodbye, you know. Now, I haven't seen enough, like I said, but I think the velo difference is, is important, but I just think he's worn out. Yeah, it certainly could explain the problem to this point, but I generally am trying to get shares of Harvey, especially if I'm trying to rally back in my leagues. Uh, Prince, I'm not sure, Derek. I'm not sure. You're just going to kind of hold off. And yeah, I would hold. See. Right, right. It might cost you more to get him later, but if you miss out, you miss out. Uh, Prince Fielder, you know, we mentioned him in passing a few moments ago. What's going on with Prince? Like he was good last year. It seemed like the the neck surgery had worked for him, and physically he was going to push twenty home runs and be a, a guy that would hit close to three hundred. Like I thought he was back to being a very good hitter, not necessarily the guy that would threaten fifty home runs. He hit 
50 way back in 2007, hit 46 in 09. But I thought he'd be a guy that could sustain last season. I thought that was the new baseline for Prince. I've got him in a few leagues, and it's been nothing but disappointment. He's hitting 193, striking out more than he has in a season uh, since 2010. He's only got two home runs through 46 games, Bernie. That's amazing. Look, you have to look at a spray chart on Prince. If Prince is hitting the ball at all to left and center, then he's on, on the money. If everything is being pulled when he does hit the ball, then it's a problem. When he is at his best, he's getting his hand through the ball, taking the pitch where it is thrown. And if it's thrown outside, he's going to hit it there. But he likes to pull the ball. And if they're beating him, then it's going to continue to be strikeouts or even ground balls to second base. I haven't seen a, a, a spray chart, but Prince, too, could be lag. That bat could be lagging behind. So, so far, it's not. The ground ball rate, same as last year, 46%. Oh, that's still a rate. lot. That's still a lot. It's still, but he, he's been doing that. I mean, that, 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 if it's the same as last year, yeah, you can do what yeah. he did last year with it. I'm okay with that. And the, the tricky thing here is that the pull rate is not up. I mean, he's, he's pulling it a little more. He's, basically, what he's done is he's hitting the opposite field the same rate. Well, that's good. 28% last year, 28.5% this year. That's good. He's pulling a few more balls, but not so, so. it's not like a 10% jump or anything like that. I mean, he's at 35.8%. He was 32.5% last year. Mm. To me, that, that's, not, that's not the problem. I, I, it's I the strikeouts. I can't figure this out. The Ks are up, but not so much where he should be hitting 193. I mean, it's just, I, I, I'm, I'm puzzled. I don't really know what to make a fielder. At 32, he shouldn't be done just yet. The, the one thing that's kind of lurking with fielder that I haven't seen a report on it in a while, he had sleep apnea. He was diagnosed in spring yeah, training. Right. Remember, he flew back but to Texas to get tested. That was corrected. Is it, is, if, that, if that's fully corrected and it's actually not a problem anymore, that makes me even more concerned. Like I would wonder if that's still a problem and the quality of his sleep is still bad because – this is like a Robinson Cano grade collapse where well, something look, really big seems to be wrong with Prince Fielder. He may not be wearing his mask. I know when I, when I was diagnosed with sleep apnea and they gave me that CPAP mask, I couldn't wear it. I, it was uncomfortable. I, you know, I'd rather die in my sleep. <laughs> so let's see. If, you know, who knows if he's wearing that CPAP mask? That's he a, may that's not a bad mask. <laughs> yeah. You know, you never know. Well, most of them are uncomfortable. To, to be, I don't. I'm not a CPAP expert. I just know I couldn't stand it. So I, I, you know, I pitched it. He may have done the same thing. Who knows? His quality of sleep may not be great. But I don't blame that on this. I, you know, I don't know how hard the balls are in play. You know, is he hitting rockets and, and they're getting stopped? I don't know. I'm trying to sell. It's another here. puzzle. It's another puzzle. I might buy if the price is really really low because you know ultimately in the second half when the weather warms up and the humidity helps he may he may come around yeah i i mean it, it could the ball is starting to fly better in in texas so maybe that that late surge is coming from prince but i'm gonna be looking at shopping him around this weekend in the leagues where i have him and hopefully i can get something i still like in the return john carlos stanton I was actually held over the lineup on Wednesday with some soreness on his right side. 
So we'll have to see if that actually is something more serious than the Marlins are letting on. But he's gone through a stretch recently where he is striking out uncontrollably. Numbers for the season, K-rate is up 33.5%. He's a guy who's going to swing and miss a fair amount, Bernie. I mean, even last season, Stanton was striking out about 30% of the time, and he still hit 27 home runs in 74 games. That's easily 50 over a full season pace. 265 average last year, down at 214 so far this year, but does have the 12 home runs. So he's still showing us that 50 home runs are a possibility, but what do you make of this recent binge and strikeouts for John Carlos Stanton? Well, I'm not, I'm not moving him at all. I'm keeping him. I have him. I'm keeping him because the home runs are going to come in bunches, and they're going to come soon, and I'm going to live with the strikeouts. It's, for me, in fantasy, it's another out. What it hurts are the, the RBIs, of course. But I think Stanton will right the ship. And by the way, the new Stanton is on his way in Joey Gallo. You know, the same type of majestic home runs that Stanton hits, Gallo hits him just as far, believe it or not. I've seen it with my own eyes. So we, it's the same type guy. Not as strong as Stanton. A lot of strikeouts and majestic home runs. Yeah, I would, I would say it's a short list of active players right now who have the same strength as Stanton. I mean, maybe like a Chris Carter type has the same raw power, but that's Whoa. that is about it, right? I mean, can you think of anybody else off the top of your head that's that no. strong? Carter's close. By the way, Carter went off last week, right? Carter's been going crazy with the home runs. He's actually building up some trade value, I think. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the Brewers are going to get a bundle for him because – Many, many teams could use that, but let's not forget the park factor there, too. But when he hits them, they're gone. doesn't really matter. But in Milwaukee, that's a perfect fit. Yeah, he, Chris Carter's going to hit home runs regardless of that's where correct. he's going to play. But that's the, correct. But to me, how much is he going to strike out, and, and how low is the, the average and, and subsequently the OBP going to be? Right. When is he going to strike out? You know, is he going to leave the bases loaded? You know, that's going to happen. But he's still a valuable commodity because he's a horse. Baseball season is in full swing, and that means daily fantasy baseball is in full swing. Go to FanDuel.com. Building a team is easy. Just pick your players. Stand under the salary cap. Sit back tonight and watch your team win. Entry fees start at just $1. Anyone can play if you're playing on this Thursday night. Smaller slate tonight, just five games out there. If you're going to play tonight, I'd like Matt Whistler as a cheap pitcher actually going up against a very swing-and-miss-heavy Milwaukee lineup. Join over 1 million other users who have already won money. It's never too late to join. Come play every day over at FanDuel.com. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use my code RWPOD and sign up now. Special offer for new users. Get a free six-month Rotowire subscription with a $25 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. That's over $60 in value for just $25. Don't forget to use my code RWPOD. FanDuel.com where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. Joey Gallo, Bernie, has been recalled by the Rangers. A couple injuries in their outfield. Uh, Shinsu Chu went back on the DL this week, uh, and also uh, Drew Stubbs went down with an injury. He was starting to get some playing time, too. The raw power has always been there with Gallo. No secret there. The big difference this season, at least at AAA, is that he's cut back on that strikeout rate down to a 22.6% K rate after he struck out 39.5% of the time last season at AAA. Gallo had a 46.3% K rate in 36 games with the Rangers, which is <laughs> off the charts high. 
But given the improvement he showed at AAA, does that make you optimistic that he can at least get down maybe to that 30, low 30% range at the big league level this season? Because clearly something has changed for him given the improvements that he's shown so far at Round Rock. That is true. And I have a scouting report today. It'll be up later today at uh, todaysknuckleball.com on Joey Gallo. I pointed out that his strikeout rate has improved and that he's got light tower power. The thing about Gallo that is different than Stanton and different than Carter is where do you play Joey Gallo? You know, you've got Beltre at third. You're going to have to either DH him or put him in left field, and I don't know that he's going to be able to play left field on a regular basis. He is a third baseman. He's getting better there, but you've got Beltre there. So why did they bring him up now? Maybe he's the DH. Maybe he's a spot starter. But the power is so good that you've got to have him in your lineup if he's on your 25-man roster. So Gallo has a big arm. People lose that. He was a pitcher, Derek. He was a 98-mile-an-hour high school pitcher. 98. Right. So I feel like he's he's not as bad at third base either as people might think. He's more athletic than everyone's going to give him credit for. Correct. So I think with that, I think he can make the adjustment to left field pretty easily. I think he can play right field if needed, but they have, they have no more Mazzara. So Chu on the DL. Desmond's going to play center anyway, so that, that opens up left. Mazzara's going to move from left to right, and you're going to have Gallo platooning with Ryan Rua. So I think they're going to sit Gallo against lefties, play Rua in those spots. Desmond plays center every day. Mazzara plays right field pretty much every day. And you're going to have the Moreland fielder duo at first base in DH. And Mitch Moreland has been a disappointment so far. If he doesn't start hitting in the time it takes Shinsu Chu to get back, I wonder if Moreland could start losing playing time at first base to Joey Gallo you know, a few weeks down the road. A lot of that's going to hinge on how much Gallo hits. But I, I'm buying in as, as a guy, as this yeah. being a guy who's improved, yeah. they're going to find a way to play him. He can play enough spots. I said that too, right? Someone someone might go to, I mean, Beltre's had some quad problems or hamstring problems the last couple of years. Maybe he has a minor injury. So first, third, DH, left field, really four different paths depending on the health of the players around him. I think, for example, I, I, think, I think Gallo's path to playing regular regularly against righties anyway is clearer than jerks and profar's path like oh, it's right. easier for gallo right now than profar by comparison i think profar's a trade chip but getting back to gallo see i think if prince hadn't signed that long-term deal then you convert him to a first baseman but you've got prince forever at first or as a dh who knows and you've got you know beltray at third so left field makes sense and that's where I project them, or as a designated hitter. At what point, now I realize that I think there was an exchange of some money along with that trade, but with Prince Fielder under contract, this season through 2020 at $24 million, and the Tigers signed him, he was traded to Texas, at what point does John Daniels start to take some heat for taking on that particular contract, for taking on that body type with that much money owed to him? At the time, look... Prince Fielder didn't have the neck problem. I thought there was a, a great fit for him in Texas, so I, I wasn't the guy calling this out as a bad move at the time, but I'm just wondering when that scrutiny is going to heat up a bit when it comes to John Daniels having you know, $100 million worth of Prince Fielder on the books, essentially, for the next four seasons. I think that ship has sailed. I don't think he'll get any feedback on that. I think maybe uh, in the last year of his contract, 
people will question whether he's worth it that year. But I, I think probably Daniels is on the hook for not strengthening his pitching staff. Who knows? Uh, I, I don't see him taking heat for fielder. I think that should have happened, but it didn't. I mean, it's it's one misstep in what otherwise I think is is a pretty successful run as far as the moves he's made. I like the deal they made to get Cole Hamels, given the cost right. of starting pitching right. in free agency. And I like what they've done in that bullpen overall, getting a guy like Diekman as an extra piece in the Hamels trade. Uh, you know, Tony Barnett bringing him over from Japan, finding guys in the scrap heap. I mean, they've done a pretty good job overall. And the number of injuries they've dealt with, I mean, Fielder is one of many. You think about Shinsu Chu and the time he's missed with a variety of injuries, Darvish having Tommy John. I, I think you have to grade Daniels on, on the appropriate curve, but at some point, this Fielder deal is going to look as bad or possibly worse than the Ryan Howard deal. I mean, it's, it's possible that it could go that I don't think south. any... I don't know. That, that I don't know that anything beats that, but... I still think they sh- they should have gone after Price or or somebody Lester. I, I do think that they missed the boat on pitching, and I especially since Darvish was going to be gone. So that's my only rub against the the Rangers. And what are they doing with Profar? Those, those two issues concern me. Profar probably gets them the mid rotation guy they need. And, and, I now think, better than later. Now I think I think they were right to not pay David Price in the sense that they instead gave up young talent to get Cole Hamels instead and are paying and Hamels a lot both. less. I think that was actually a better move long term based on how much talent they had built up in the minor leagues. When you when you have when you have a farm system that gets as crowded as what Texas had put together, you can't play everybody. You do have to trade players when you develop that much talent at once. And I think they did a good job avoiding the two hundred million dollar starting pitcher. So I think that's. Long-term, a good move, but what they do with Profar and how they address the back of the rotation. Cause I, I'm not sold on the back-end starters there as being viable. I like Martin Perez. I think he's having a nice year. But the Colby Lewis-Derek Holland duo, uh, Holland's right. been a really big disappointment for me. I thought Holland would be pretty good for them, and it's just not working out. Well, see, that's why I think they needed the other starter. They needed Hamels and somebody else. Dylan Tate is on his way. He'll be good. Uh Luis Luis Ortiz, yeah, but I, I like Dylan Tate better. They're both on their way. It's just a matter of time, and you know they've they've still got a great farm system. Luis Brinson, Mazara's there now. Gallo's there now. This is a very good ball club, and now's the time to get that other pitcher. One of the prospects I like, who's really far away, is Leotis Tavares. He's one of those players that I, I took a chance on him. In our staff keeper league, it's a dynasty league. I, I'm really interested to see what he becomes as a player over the next few years. We're talking like four to five years potentially before we see him in Texas. But yeah, I, I love the talent they've built up. And I'm glad you mentioned Tate and Ortiz. They're both going to be big arms at the big level. I think level. so. They're 60s at least. Yeah, so I think that bodes really well for the Rangers too. So they've, they've got some help coming. It's just not immediate help. And I think they've got enough pieces to still make a move for the arm that they need to, to, kind of, to kind of get to support the Hamels and Darvish combo. Now, putting that into context, a 60 is an all-star. Occasional all-star, but he's an all-star. So if you've got two all-star prospect pitchers to add to guys like Hamill and, and Darvish, Hamels and Darvish, you know, you've got four quality starters. 
yeah, especially if those guys can get up reasonably quickly. I think that that's also uh, something that bodes particularly well. But here, here's my here's my next question for you because I, I mentioned this name as we were talking about the Rangers and Prince Fielder. And I hope I hope Prince Fielder's not the next Ryan Howard in terms of the decline. I, I don't. I think he's been a better hitter throughout his career than Howard was, even when Howard was at his peak. Howard is a fantastic power hitter, but Prince actually uses the field a lot more effectively. Um, and more likely to be a guy that at times that would flirt with 300, whereas with Ryan Howard, it just didn't seem like that was ever going to happen. Even in his best years, he was like more of a 260, 270 type guy. But if you're the Phillies right now, why are you still playing Ryan Howard? You have to pay him no matter what. He's not giving you anything. He's not even good against righties right now. He's got eight home runs this year, but he's been awful. He's hitting 160. He's got a 359 slugging percentage. He's not a good defender at first base. And you have to pay him regardless of whether or not you put him on right. the field. Right. Is, is the Ryan Howard DFA only a, a few weeks away? From uh, gee, I, I I don't know. You know, I'll tell you, I saw him in spring training, and he wasn't good then. I put him on my team because I needed some more power. He gave me some home runs, but I never play him. He's on my bench. When I did play him, he did give me some home runs. But, you know, I think they – they aren't playing him anymore. It's a big question for them. When they do play him, they hope he's hitting the ball out of the park because it's a nice park for him. But I think he's done. I think he knows he's done. I think they know he's done. And it's a matter of courtesy now and, and professionalism of how you handle him. And you've got to involve him in the discussion. You don't do something to him or with him without him being involved. He has earned that respect. I think you just talk to him and just say, hey, look, thanks for everything you've done for the organization. At this point, we want to give Tommy Joseph playing time because we're looking to the future, and here's your $30 million we still owe you. Yeah, (laughs) except that Tommy Joseph's a catcher, you know? And I don't know, isn't he? He was, but he had a lot (laughs) of concussions. He's a a first baseman now. But he uh, he worked out at the same place I went for rehab, and uh, I don't want to get into it in detail, but... I wonder how much he really wants to be a big league player. We'll see. This is his opportunity. If his attitude is improved about his, you know, how much he wants this, he will be their first baseman for a while. But they're on the prowl, as are the Mets, for a first baseman. Reese Hoskins, probably the guy long-term in Philadelphia if you're playing in a keeper league. Uh, Moving on to some other items. Let's start with Jackie Bradley Jr., who's been on fire to start this season. Had a great August last year. Actually had a higher ISO than Kyle Schwarber. That was one of the things that stood out to me this offseason when I was looking at Bradley. But I thought with Bradley, too much of that production came in too small of a window to the point where I felt like maybe the league adjusted again against them and he had to figure it out in September and couldn't. I didn't expect this level of output or anything close to it, Bernie. He's cut back on the strikeouts. Yeah. He's still drawing his share of walks. Hitting 350 right now with a 417 <laughs> on base and a 625 slugging percentage. I, I really thought last season, as far as the 10 homers goes, I thought that was kind of the pace he'd set over a full season. He had 10 homers in 74 games. I thought 20 homers would be his ceiling as a big league hitter, but maybe good OBP skills based on what he'd done in the minors, maybe more stolen bases. How did we miss on Jackie Bradley to this extent? Because he was freely available, cheaply available. He was an end game in guy, and every, I got him. Every single draft or auction I was in, he was the guy who said, okay, well, 
he could play a lot and he's not going to hurt me, so I'll get him as my fifth outfielder. But I don't remember anybody That's right. back in March beating the drum saying, hey, look, Jackie Bradley's that late outfielder you want to have because we, we did going to be awesome. I'll, I'll tell you right now, we did not. I and I got, him, I got him in the end game, and I'm, I'm thrilled. And he's halfway home to Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak. Will he make it? Who knows? The guy has surprised. The Red Sox have surprised for me. They are much better. Hanley, wow. And I love having Hanley on grass ball. Healthy Hanley is a lot more fun than injured Hanley. Oh, man. And did you see what he did yesterday? This was great. Uh, he's playing first base, and they had a substituted shortstop. At the second throw over, the second out that the shortstop threw, I forgot who it was, Hanley just barked at him because the throw was very weak. And I loved it. It was great. And they made a note of it. You know, the announcers called it out. And they said he's taking charge. I love it. Yeah, Hanley so far. Only four home runs on the season, but he's hitting three okay. or four. Okay. I think the home runs are going to come, though. I mean, a healthy Hanley, I expect more like 20 to 25 home runs from him. If he's playing first base all year and he gets 140 or 145 games, to me, there's a lot more power in the tank. And even if it doesn't come, the quality of the lineup around him is going to make the counting stats great. You can see it in the runs scored, the RBI. He's got 27 runs scored, 26 runs driven in, and he's stealing some bases. Bernie's got four steals this year. Yeah, he's keeping me afloat. He really, he and Travis Shaw. Travis Shaw, I, you know, I had seen him. And I just took a flyer on him because, again, he was an endgame guy. Nobody talked about Travis Shaw. But, you know, when he beat out Sandoval, I said to myself, this isn't temporary. This is going to happen. And I got him. So I'm, I'm very happy. Closer role changes. Uh, one big one recently, Sam Dyson taking over from Sean Tolleson as part of that Rangers bullpen. I think Sam Dyson is like a right-handed Zach Britton. He throws really hard. Gets a lot of ground balls. I mean, Sam Dyson has a 71.7% ground ball rate, which is it's in that Britain tier, and he's done this before. He's basically got two-thirds of his outs on the ground since arriving in the big leagues a few years back. I wonder if there's going to be more there in terms of strikeouts. Wow. As he continues to get comfortable last year, the swinging strike rate was a lot higher at 12.4% than it has been so far this year at 7.8%. Do you see Sam Dyson keeping the ninth-inning job for the Rangers the rest of the way? I certainly do. I see no reason not to keep him there. He went off the board so quick, Derek, and every league I'm in, gone. You know, so people have faith in him. I dumped Tolleson, to tell you the truth. I didn't even hold on to him. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a chance for him to take the job back. I think Dyson makes more sense on a skills standpoint. And like I said, there could be more in terms of K rate. I think. Eight and a half, nine per nine could actually be the rate as opposed to seven per nine going forward. But I like that he's an extreme ground baller, especially in that park where the big fly can really become a problem. Uh, a couple other items to get to. Uh, this one pertaining to Josh Tomlin. I stayed away from Josh Tomlin, Bernie, because he's had a lot of issues with the long ball. But the peripherals have been pretty good when he's been healthy, thanks in part to the walk rate being, rate being, rate being, being down of Josh Tomlin. Looks like the Ks are down a little bit this year. The home runs are still there, but the walk rate is crazy low. Can this approach work for him in that park? Yeah, it always has been in, in, relatively low. That's his, that's his strength in his career. Now, it may be even lower now than in the past. And I could kick myself because I had him targeted 
And I waited and I waited and I figured, well, I can get them for two bucks or three bucks. And I missed. And I could kick myself because, you know, people know as much as you do when you play in leagues that we do, Derek. And it was a miss. And I regret it because I think he's going to be good. He beat a tough White Sox team and he beat a tough White Sox pitcher. And that was his coming of age, beating Chris Sale. Yeah, that's that's always got to be a big moment, right? You take down an ace like that. But I, I look at Tomlin. I just see mid-rotation at best. I yeah. see more like, a, like a, a competent number four who comes out sometimes. against a team that will strike out a lot. He'll get you the Ks. And that, that's, that's the extent to which I think he's useful. So in a deep mixer, there's something there. But otherwise, I think it's mostly AL only as far as where you're going to actually oh, no. make a profit on Tom. I don't like him. No, I disagree with that. It's, it's uh, no, like no, NFBC no. or deeper. It's got to be 15 teams in a mixer or deeper before I actually want to use this guy. See, I think better than that. He, he's a four on the Indian staff because they've got good, you know, they've got a good one, two, and three with Carrasco in there. But he's on a winning team that's going to be in a pennant race. He's going to go. The thing you have to watch about is quality start leagues because that's what I don't like about their manager. You know, Francona's got a quick hook, and I do think he goes to his pen way too soon, and he usually goes goes there with one out in the sixth inning. I've seen it over and over again. That's my only hesitation about Tomlin is the league uh, categories. But I'll take him in a mixed league, uh, uh, an only league, anywhere you want to give him to me. Last five because, times because his whip is going to be really good. The whip, yeah, the whip. It, it, you know, you know, he kind of reminds me of in terms of the peripherals is Dave Bush. Remember Dave Bush from the Brewers? Oh yeah, ago? you're right. That's a very good comp. He could come out yeah, and have big, a good start. Breaking ball pitcher, big breaking ball pitcher, and he'd give up his share of home runs. I mean, that was always the the wart with him. He'd, I mean, he'd hang a few. Marco Estrada is kind of like that too, just as another guy that I've watched a lot. You know, a righty that doesn't walk a lot of guys, sometimes gets you the strikeouts on a bad day, gives up two or three home runs. I mean, that and those guys are useful if they get deep into their starts with those those ratios. But I just see a lot of inconsistency in there where I've been burned too much by that skill set. So unless I think there's something there that will allow him to cut back on the home runs, I tend to stay away from those pitchers. Do you own him in grass ball? Tomlin, no. Or, or do you own him in, in any of our leagues? No, I don't have Tomlin anywhere. Oh, oh, okay, okay. All right, let's move on to talk about a guy that I have no faith in. Is that Colin Moran? Yes, it is. What's the what's the hang up on Colin Moran? This guy, when I saw him in the fall league, and and this is the rap that that I think the Marlins had. This guy plays with no energy, or played with no energy. Now, whether this is changing. Or not, and I pointed that out on today's Knuckleball dot com, by the way, uh, in my scouting report. I just don't think he was a number one draft choice, and the Marlins gave up on him quickly. Now he's with Houston. The pop could come, but as a third baseman, I expect more from him in terms of power. His average could be there. Definitely, his average will be there, but that's his single greatest tool. Playing time right now is a little bit inconsistent for him. I mean, he's playing like every other day or starting every other day or close to it. The other problem I have with Colin Moran, though, Bernie, Alex Bregman might not be far away. Like, oh, you're right. Alex oh, Bregman's yeah. been playing third base in the minors. He's tearing the cover off the ball at double A. 
He's got an 11-15 OPS. I don't know if that's how good he actually is as a hitter. I mean, that seems kind of ridiculous based on the expectations I had, even as a guy that came out of the first round, mostly because the power has jumped up with the move to double-A. So that's the long-term concern with Moran, is that he's not necessarily locked in as that option at third base. And even in the short term, they still give Luis Valbuena, Marwin Gonzalez, guys like that playing time. That could be even more crowded if A.J. Reed comes up. Reed was in the minor league DL. I think he had a hamstring injury. He's back now. So once A.J. Reed pushes down the door and gets called up, those guys that get some time at first might slide back over to third. Moran's not even a lock to stay on the big league roster. So I'd, I think, I think is, he's the, Yeah, I think this, he's there to, to, to be moved. This is the chance he has to prove himself, but I think it is more of an audition for other teams. Exactly. I think he's being showcased... Look, this is a, an Astros team that's underachieving. They have they have laid an egg, and they've got to do something to correct this. And I don't think Moran is the answer. I do think Bregman is going to be there. I think they're going to panic and bring him up too soon this year. And I don't think he's you know he's his development is done. But you will see him this year. I believe. I think you're right about that. With Correa at short, Bregman at third. That's a duo. And Altuve at second, watch out. I mean, that's a good infield. But I love the Astros anyway, and I think they're going to dig themselves out of this. But unless Dallas Keuchel comes around and McHugh come around, they could be there a long time. When does Keuchel turn it around, or doesn't he? I can't give him away in grass ball right now. I'm not even getting a reasonable buy low sort of offer from somebody to the point where I'd say, okay, sure, you can have Dallas Keuchel. I'll, I'll accept the possibility that he's just not the guy he was last year or in What's his contract, D? What's he's, his contract? He's only 12 bucks next year. Well, I'll talk with you about him. It's pretty cheap for what he could do if he turns it back around. I mean, he's. How about, how about Fister for Keuchel even up? That doesn't help me. I, Fister's. Well, what are you looking for? Any anything that has a glimmer of upside, I'll take future That's value. This okay. upside, no. Okay, how how about uh, how about Frazier, the outfielder for the Indians? That's a step in the right direction. I got to look at the contracts. We'll we'll okay. save that for for off air. But if if Frazier <laughs> is in the mix, I'm, I wanted to make a deal on the air. <laughs> I'm, I'm, at, I'm at least I'm at least intrigued enough by Frazier where I think we can explore that and see where that goes. Yep. Um, Astros also called up Tony Kemp, a small prospect, a left-handed hitting 5-6 outfielder, played a little bit of infield in the minors. I think he even played some second base, but the Astros are kind of set there. So uh, Tony Kemp, what is he long-term? Is he a utility guy? Is he a regular? How does he fit in for the Astros? He's a speedster. He's got a lot of, of usable speed. He will steal. I think they'll use him now as a pinch runner and as a defender late in games. They want to get that extra base, that's Kemp. So I, I don't know that he's much more useful than that with Altuve around because I don't see him playing anywhere else. He is clearly there for his speed, I think. So he's similar in some ways to Taylor Motter of the Rays, who was also called up recently. Motter's a little older at 26. It's from the right side. But they're both guys that I think can play a few spots and, and get – enough playing time to be intriguing. Motter's already homered twice in seven games. Uh, but his numbers last year at AAA, Taylor Motter, 14 homers, 26 steals, 292, 366, 471. Again, he did that as a 25-year-old, so you got to take it with the appropriate grain of salt. But this guy's played pretty well the last few years in the minor leagues and started to add some power in 2014. It just 
it, to me, those types of players that can take a glove and go to a, a few different spots are always worth taking the flyer on in a deep league in case they happen to catch fire and you know someone goes down and suddenly they become a regular. Yeah, and they, multiple position eligibility is great. And you think it's at the expense of Nick Franklin, right? Yeah, I just I think Nick Franklin, like he was going to be a utility option potentially for this team, and I don't I don't know if we're going to see him in the big leagues anytime soon. He's stealing some bases, showing some power in the minors, but two forty one, three hundred five, three sixty one for a twenty five year old at AAA through forty two games, and didn't tear the cover off the ball when given previous opportunities. Defense maybe is part of the problem there. I mean, is is Nick Franklin? an average defender at more than one position in your eyes? Uh, he's probably average at shortstop, above average at second base. Uh, I've always liked him a lot. I've liked his bat, but he's going to need – look, he needs sustained playing time. You're not going to make this guy any better in the big against big league pitching by playing him a game a week. He's got to play, and there's no place for him now, and he needs a trade. Again, and, but he also again. needs to do. He, he needs to do what he did last year at AAA. Last year, AAA was better: two sixty six, three fifty three, five hundred slugging percentage, eleven homers and fifty seven games at Durham. Hit like that. If he hits like that, he plays in the big leagues again sooner rather than later. Right now, he's a four A guy. That's what he is. It's uh, it's unfortunate because I, I thought I, I was on your side. I thought he was going to be something more than that. Going back to his time as a prospect in Seattle, the one thing with Nick Franklin. He's listed at 6'1", 195. I, I, I question both of those numbers, having seen this guy in person. He just doesn't seem like he's quite that big. And and that's not the be-all, end-all either, but I, I do worry that he's just more of like a utility bench guy as opposed to a good regular in the middle infield. Seems like that's where it's going, definitely. All right, Bernie, before we start to sign off here, what's coming up as far as scouting reports and, and other pieces at today's Knuckleball? Scouting reports, uh, Aaron Judge will be coming up probably tomorrow. Uh, I, I will be looking probably four, five times a week. You can find a scouting report at todaysknuckleball.com. These are all players I have scouted in person extensively. So that's what I'm doing for todaysknuckleball.com, and I hope you'll watch. You'll uh, take a look at it. All right, be sure to check those out. You can find Bernie on Twitter at Bernie Pleskoff. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Podcast is at Short Hops. Views and opinions of Short Hops, those Derek Bernie and no other entity. Get a free 10 day trial to RotoWire by going to rotowire.com slash pod. That's P O D. Thank you for listening to Short Hops, sponsored by fanduel.com. Bernie, it's been a pleasure as always. We'll be back at it next week. Talk to you next week. Have a great week. your own business got small ambitions for this business of course you don't got medium ambitions for this business of course you don't who has medium ambitions you got big ambitions if you're a growing business with big ambitions you want to grow with granger granger has the products the services and more importantly the commitment you need total commitment if you're a growing business granger's got your back 
Call clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.